So hello and welcome. Happy Friday. Today is Friday, January the 12th, and this is Backyard Beekeeping Questions and Answers, episode number 240. I'm Frederick Dunn, and this is The Way to Be. So I'm really glad that you're here with me today. We have a little bit to talk about. I finally got my voice back after being at a conference and talking for several days on end and uh, just getting worse, to be honest. So what's going on outside? Well, for one, we've lost electricity because we've got storms whipping through here, high winds, and the temperatures are going to drop really bad. It's 39 degrees Fahrenheit outside, which is minus 4 Celsius. And uh, I think that's actually 4 Celsius. I don't know why I wrote the minus. 39 Fahrenheit, 4 degrees Celsius, 13 mile an hour winds, constant. And we're going to have wind gusts in excess of 60 to 70 miles per hour. There are people that have been without electricity all week here where I live. Can you imagine that in the wintertime? This is why you need a wood stove and oil lanterns and things like that, just in case you lose power. Relative humidity is 60% out there. And uh, rain, wind, snow, it's all transitioning and that's why some of the things that I'm saying now are going to be important to you if you're in the northeastern United States because that's where the storm's headed and I'm in northwestern PA. So today's your chance to strap things down in the opening sequences. I just did a walk around. That was the calm, not before the storm, kind of between the storm because it just happened. It blew down trees and things like that in the woods. I think about that a lot. What would you do 2 o'clock in the morning, you're sound asleep, freezing cold, you lost electricity, and one of your trees falls over and knocks a big hole in the roof of your house? Yikes. There are people that could be in real trouble. And if you're rural, like I am, uh, when the power goes out, I thought, you know, we'd be at the tail end of things, that it would take them a long time to get our power back on, but they had power on in six hours for us and uh, others, thousands of people still. So anyway, I only say that because I want you to be prepared in your minds for your bees and yourselves. One of my hives toppled over, not the end of the world, because it did not break apart in the upper boxes, which is where the cluster is, and it fell over. The bottom box broke the seal, fell over to one side, so all I had to do was tip it back up, and then this time strap it down tight. So I just mentioned that. I want you to think about your own hives, how they're situated, the direction of the wind has shifted. Normally it's prevailing winds out of the west, which is kind of how I plan when I'm setting up my hives and equipment, but it shifted on us and now it's coming out of the southwest and headed to the northeast. So who knows what the heck is going on. So if you want to know what we're going to talk about today and you have access to the video description, I know some of you don't, um, you need to look down there and you'll see line item by line item the topics that uh, were submitted. Now, if you want to know how to submit your own topic for consideration, please go to thewaytobe.org and click on the page marked The Way to Be. There's a form for you to fill out. This is also a podcast on Podbean. So if you Google The Way to Be podcast, you'll find out if whatever your podcast service is carries it. And I think you'll be happy to find that you can just listen to this instead of having to watch it, maybe while you're driving or maybe you're working or something like that. So I think that's about all the housekeeping. We uh, had a great time at the conference. I'm going to talk about that a little bit at the end because there is an item I want to talk to you about which really I thought was really fascinating and interesting. So we're going to start right off with question number one which comes from David Miller from um, 
Bryan College Station, Texas. My area of Texas will be having its first hard freeze of the winter starting on Sunday. I think a lot of people in the south are getting freezing temps, some of them worse than ours up here. I have ordered the insulated inner covers. That should be here today. Would you suggest placing these on the hives tomorrow with the temperatures as high as 63 or to wait until after the freeze for when the multiple days of warm occur? The hives currently have wood inner covers from the current season. Not sure if, they're, if the current propolis seal would be of great benefit than placing the B-Smart covers. We'd love to hear your feedback. This is a toss-up, but uh, it says here that, let's see, you'll have several days of warm weather coming following that. So this is a risk late in the year when you take apart your hives and you break the propolis seal because the bees don't have the warmth necessary to reseal the damage you're about to do. One of the things I personally would do in that situation, since you have warm weather coming after the freeze, because that's when your bees are going to be desperate to recover, they're going to be looking for resources and hopefully you're feeding something on top of that insulated inner cover uh, when you add that on. So the B-Smart covers are smooth on the bottom. So they do need propolis to glue them up a little bit and you'll have to strap them down to make them hold their place. So I personally toss up, I would wait. What I would do right now though, if you can get a hold of some insulation like Reflectex, Double Bubble, whatever, and put that on top of your inner cover without pulling up the inner cover. Take the outer cover off, put Reflectex insulation, a couple layers of it wouldn't hurt. Push your lid right back on there and you'll help create and retain a heat capsule inside the hive. And then I would wait because you've got consistent days of warmth coming after that. That's when I would break the propolis seal, swap out your existing wooden inner covers for, it sounds like the B-Smart Designs insulated inner covers. Then you can put those on there and hopefully they'll have some time to seal things up and you'll be good to go. So, but changing hive modif or changing and modifying hive configurations once winter has begun uh, can be very unforgiving in some parts of the country, but uh, down where you are, that may be okay. Let's move on to question number two, which comes from Victoria from Newburgh, New York. I'm from New York and recently had a bear get into one of our hives. We were unable to transfer the bees that were left back into new boxes. There seems to be a good amount of bees left. Only one deep brood box. Frames were destroyed and we switched them out. Is it too cold to do an inspection to see if we still have a queen? We didn't see her when we were moving the boxes but we did it quick because of the cold. My question is, if we don't have a queen, what do we do? Now this is interesting. I'm glad Victoria asked this. A lot of people are asking the same question. This is January. If you don't have a queen right now, first of all, I'll answer the part of the question right off the bat. Do we, should we inspect and find the queen? No, don't bother. Uh, once wintertime starts, once you're deep into it, and let's face it, January has begun, and this is the middle of things for us here in the Northeast, and uh, I'm assuming the same for the state of New York, right? So whether you're Southern, Eastern, Western New York, it makes no difference. I would not be inspecting to see if you have a viable queen right now. Uh, if she makes it, you're going to find that out when the weather warms up. If she didn't make it, if you don't have a queen, it will change nothing for you. And this is why 
This is so hard for some new beekeepers to stay out of their hives in the wintertime. Please do not expose your bees to the cold weather just because you need to know something. You have to ask ahead of the game, what would you do with the knowledge you're about to gain, right? So let's say you find out your queen's gone. What are you going to do? Buy a new queen? Nope. I attended a, a state meeting for the state of Pennsylvania. Randy Oliver was talking. And that was already back uh, end of October. And he flat out said, if anybody is trying to sell you a queen this time of year, it's unethical. So now we know that Randy Oliver is very plain spoken, but the, the truth of the matter is that won't change much for you. In other words, uh, a new queen at the end of the year or in the middle of winter or something like that, what is she supposed to do? Let's say you did that. Let's, let's try to get both sides of it. Let's say somebody's got this fantastic queen. She's banked, she's mated, she can lay eggs and everything else. Brood production is going to be very low. If you did put a queen in there and she started laying up a bunch of brood, then you would need a bunch of brood food, right? So you would need a bunch of pollen in there too. What's the pollen source right now? None. Only whatever happens to be stored. Only the resources that are metabolically built into your winter fat-bodied bees would be the source for retaining and maintaining your new brood in the wintertime. If you kicked off a, a, you know, a population of bees too early, you're also going to kick off a fuel consumption increase, right? So then you have to make sure you have a lot more honey stored and a lot more resources for them to do that. My statement is always going to be, wait until spring, see what you have. Don't try to manipulate brood and, and requeen a colony or combine colonies once winter has begun. And no, don't buy a queen. Um, worry about laying workers? No, I wouldn't worry about that either. You know why? Because they're, they're not going to be stimulated uh, to produce a lot because they'll be dwindling. In other words, if your queen is lost, your numbers of bees will just be through attrition. They'll just be going away. And this is why sometimes in spring you'll open up a hive and find a tiny cluster of bees. And you may at that point find nothing but little drones coming out. And I say little drones because they're not the same as uh, the drones that a queen would make. And laying workers often produce these drones in worker cells. So they're kind of runty, and they were produced at a time when resources are small. So that's why sometimes in spring you can see these little tiny half-emerged, partially emerged, just their head exposed, and a little cluster of bees around them. That means you did lose your queen, probably, and uh, they tried to produce drones, and then they just couldn't even do it. They couldn't keep them warm. So you have a dwindling colony of bees. Do not requeen this time of year, at least not in the northern United States. Question number three comes from Renee from Klamath Falls, Oregon. I might have said that wrong. And it says, uh, I think we washed my queen on October 5th while doing a mite check. Do you think it is at all possible that my bees... Now, October 5th is pretty early, so I'm not that familiar with that part of Oregon, but... Uh, if there are a lot of resources still, if there's lots of pollination going on and everything else, and if you still see drones in many of your hives at that time of year, yes, very good chance that a replacement queen could have been mated. So it says, once in a while, I see what I think are young bees on the landing board. That was the end of December. Also, I saw a drone the end of November. 
So if you saw drones at the end of November, and this was a mating that happened back in October, then I think uh, there's more than enough time for her to have been mated. And uh, if you're seeing, first of all, young bees, right? Often people will look at bees and say, look, baby bees. There's no such thing as a baby bee in your beehive. So I know it's a term we like to assign to things that are brand new. They're all adult bees. In other words, when they emerge from their pupa state, they are an adult bee. Now they can be newer bees or older bees, but, uh, <clears throat> or you could say that they're fresh bees or something like that. And here's the thing, they're distinctive because they're very fuzzy. They look almost silvery in appearance at first, and they've got hair on every part of their body in abundance. And that's how you do know, because I teach my grandchildren, my grandson in particular, the supervisor, I teach him to look for these freshly emerged bees, and that lets me know that I don't have to um, wonder, because if you're going back, we know that 21 days before that happened, this was an egg. So if you go back just 21 days, well, we're in December. So if you're seeing those, yeah, you've got a queen, and she's laying. And that's because uh, there wasn't, you know, if she hadn't made it and hadn't been successful, you would not be seeing those fresh adult bees. So... That's it. A lot of people are worried about their queens and stuff. Please do not. This is the hardest thing for beekeepers is to stay out of your hives and not meddle with them in the wintertime. Keep it all closed up, minimal openings, and when you do, the warmest, best day, and uh, be prepared to do the work that you need to, like restoring food, replenishing food and resources, surplus food, emergency resources. Not everyone has left on enough honey. Not every colony produced enough honey through the year. Even though you left them alone, they can find themselves in trouble. And that's because what has happened to us this year? Think about it. What happened this year is we had a lot of temperature flux. We had really warm days when we shouldn't have. Bees were flying when there weren't resources to bring in. This isn't necessarily the fault of the beekeeper. I also think this is not the time to become Darwinian about it. In other words, you'll see some people cross their arms and say, well, um, if they didn't store up enough honey, then they're probably not well suited to this area and we should just let them go. Well, they are managed livestock here in the United States. So your bees, they're wild. Let's face it, they are, but they're under your control and we have manipulated their environment and the boxes that we put them in. So if we find that they're out of resources, there is absolutely nothing wrong with making sure they have a backup plan regarding food. Uh, there were people that suggested last spring when I found one that was starving out and I put just one quart of sugar syrup on it and saved the whole colony. They were toppling out of the entrance and dying because they came out too early, they brooded up too early, they used all of their resources and they had no carbohydrates. So then when that happened, yes, I could just be Darwinian and say, well, there you go. They're all dead, or for the price of a quart of sugar syrup, I got the entire colony back on track, and they were foraging again, and when the weather broke, they got the resources they needed, turned out to be extremely strong. Those are judgment calls for you. I'm just saying what I personally would do, if it's as simple as providing a carbohydrate to make sure that they don't expire on my watch during winter, then I'm going to do it. Of course, they keep records of those that perform really well. So let's move on to question number four. And this is from 
Toy, who lives in Boiling Springs, South Carolina. 10 frame, double deep on a solid bottom board, turned to the three quarter inch side with a standard entrance. Reducer on the larger opening, so roughly three eighths inches by three inches. That's a good opening. I have your insulated inner cover configuration. Hive Live Fonded on top has been placed this week. I also have your hive stand plans, cutting 10 foot conduit in half, so on and so forth. And it says the entrance looks like it's been chewed on one side. My question is, would it be worth it to break open the hive to verify and try to remove the mouse if it's in there? I put a mouse guard on so it's now trapped inside. If there is a mouse present, I started the year with two packages of bees, the other hive and the drone link queen just never built up after replacing her. So, Toy wants to know if we need to get the mouse out. Any more details about how much chewing was done? If it never opened it more than three eighths of an inch and just chewed the outside, I don't think there's a mouse in there. So how would you know if there's a mouse inside your hive? Think about that for a second. You see a chewed entrance, you think a mouse got in, you don't have the cameras. I'm a nut about cameras. I have motion activity cameras everywhere. How else can we tell if a mouse gained access to your hive and it's occupying the space? What do you think? Yes, there would be grass, moss, pieces of fiber, there would be pieces of clothing, everything inside the hive. So you take your hive clean-out tool, which of all things, I don't have one here with me. Um, you stick your hive clean-out tool in along the bottom and you scrape it out. If there's a mouse in there, you're going to pull out little clumps of grass and little clumps of uh, resources that the mouse was using to make its little nest. Because they build their nest right on the bottom. Nine times out of ten, you pull apart a hive in spring and if it's been occupied by a mouse, um, all of the nesting material is right at the bottom. Now, if you had an upper entrance, sometimes mice go for that. Why? Warmer up there. So I don't use upper entrances and I don't have upper venting. I say that every time. I just reaffirm it. I'm just letting you know. There's no appeal for mice to be up in the top of one of my hives because it's not a point of egress. They can't come in or go out through the top of a hive. They have to come through the front door and they have to deal with any bees that might be down there. So I highly suspect, even without the additional information, that this mouse did not get in there. But I really hope that we'll hear back and find out. Once you probe the landing board area and scrape things out, did you find grass and stuff? I would not pull apart the hive just to find the mouse now. On the next warm day, though, when the bees are coming and going through the entrance, if you have a mouse in there, it won't be when the bees are flying and activity is high. And that's when you close down that entrance again. So right now you think you have a trap mouse. I would remove the mouse guard and probe around to see if you have grass in there. Just for peace of mind, I would not pull apart the bottom board. Not given the current weather conditions. When you get warm weather, sure. Pry up the bottom a little bit and then that way you can sweep through with your hive tool or something if you want to. And you'll be in good shape. Question number five, this is from Karen, Western Australia. And it says, uh, have you heard about bees emitting a sound to plants and plant responds by releasing a higher sugar nectar? 
Okay, I've not heard about the higher sugar nectar. But there was a link to a study here. And Karen sent that to me, but this is a rabbit hole that a lot of people can go into. And here's the thing I mentioned uh, a couple episodes ago about the sonic bloom. And the problem is, if you start reading a lot of different books, all of them start to mesh together. Because I was reading about worms, and it was called The Earth Moved. And there's a lot of stuff about gardening in there. And then there was another chicken tractor book I was reading, which talked about gardening. And again, and how soil doesn't deepen, it upends, and all this other stuff. And then the response of plants, and tilling, and not tilling, and everything else. And why am I talking about that? Well, because the Sonic Bloom wasn't a book, it had to be a chapter in a book or a response because the thing was about how plants and animals react to one another in concert. Now, by that I mean uh, in the absence of pollinators and the wing beats of pollinators that vibrate the air, like when, like, take a hummingbird, for example. Why do we call it a hummingbird? Because we hear the frequency of the, the wings, it hums. Well, that humming is a mechanical energy, or we couldn't hear it. Think about it. So, my background is in ultrasonics <clears throat> and inducing sound and using sound to give us information. So, here's the thing. It's mechanical energy. So, when bees beat their wings, they create a vibration through the air. This is why we hear them. When a bee is hovering, we hear it with our ears because that frequency passes to our uh, ears and then we can understand that there is a noise and what the frequency is. Things are in close proximity to plants, you could feel that vibration if you were a plant. And then there is a response from the plant to produce nectar in the presence of this vibration. So pollinators can vibrate a plant and the plant can react to the pollinator. And uh, these are very interesting studies. And then you can go so far down the rabbit hole that you will wish you never looked into the subject because it gets into the responses. How many of you have ever heard of a sensitivity plant? It's a plant that when you touch it, all of its little leaves fold up. There are little reactions that the plants have. Plants can sense other things in their proximity, right? So it makes perfect sense that some plants, it's important to say that, uh, won't produce nectar for the pollinator because otherwise in the absence of the pollinator if nectar were being produced and and uh, on the surface of the plant so that the pollinator could come and get it in the absence of pollinators if it did that it would be a complete waste of energy on the part of the plant this is fascinating stuff right so when plants are damaged interacted with uh, and when something wants to feed on they'll produce pollen uh, they'll produce nectar and sometimes they'll even produce toxins, which is really interesting too. Plants try to defend themselves. And so they detect even other plants. Plants are smelling and sensing the air and the earth and everything else. This is an interesting science. Now here's the problem. Science often bleeds over into what's called metaphysics, right? So you can go down kind of a weird rabbit hole. And so in... I was trying to validate what I had already said, and so I was trying to find the book. And uh, I already have a book called The Secret Life of Trees, which is interesting enough. This is another book that I want to show you, and it is called The Secret Life of Plants. And it has a very simple, unassuming plant on the cover here, but 
This book is chock-a-block with a mix, it's important that you know that, of science and speculation about what goes on and what plants perceive. And they have these incredibly sensitive sensors that they put on plants to see if plants respond to different stimuli and things like that. It goes way beyond uh, just producing nectar. If you get this book, I'm not responsible for the dreams that you have after you understand what the author discloses about plants and how sensitive they are. You think vegans are watching out for animal consumption. There are plants that are, according to this book, uh, afraid of people that have ill intent in their mind. So that's enough said about that. So those are my questions for today. I'm gonna to go into the fluff section here. I know it feels like things went, or went by quickly, um, but I wanted to get to the fluff because it's kind of fun. I wanted to talk a little bit about the conference. If you've never been to a honeybee conference, go to a honeybee conference, any honeybee conference, go to one. You're gonna meet people there, get to know people, and you'll start to see the same people over and over again. And uh, I know that my presentations at conferences are a little different than the standard presentation, and it's because I call it infotainment. Um, it's light, it's not intended to be heavy with scientific uh, research, and that's because we have those people. We have scientific researchers that are more than happy to put out their studies. I try to get you interested in the bee and see bees in a way that even though you may have been around them every day, you might not have seen it this way or thought about things this way. One of the best things uh, about the conference down in Louisville, Kentucky, um, was meeting the vendors and the vendor area was so big that I couldn't get around all of it. And I'm still getting people that are not very happy with me because I didn't have the time to come and talk to them at their display. So what I did is I had to weigh, you know, have I already talked to these people at other conventions? Yeah, well then I move on to something new. See what I'm saying? And there were others at the convention last year, for example, that I didn't get to. But I have, I exchange with these people all the time. So I'm talking to these people all the time. So if I didn't get to you, that's not, it doesn't mean you weren't worth it. But um, one of the best things about this convention was I met this guy and it's not like they say, hey, Fred, come over, look at my stuff, make a video about my stuff, put it on your YouTube channel. They don't. These are just people that have an idea. They get a booth, they set it up, and they share their idea. Well, I was looking around, and uh, here's this older guy all by himself. And uh, he's got a what looks like a telescoping window washer pole. And it's sticking straight up, probably the the ceiling inside the convention center is 24 to 27 feet something like that and i think his pole is up there about 20 feet this is his invention it is a really simple looking piece of plastic guess what that's it this thing is all he had now it's called the swarm reacher and I was looking at it and I thought, huh, and I'm listening to this guy. So I asked him about his invention and what's going on. He had a couple of pictures. What he does is this thing is threaded in the end and it screws onto, you know, your window washer poles and stuff that are telescoping out. 
And the Swarm Reacher, he puts a frame of, uh, that used to be used for brood. So it has that wonderful brood smell. So when he sees a swarm really high up in a tree, obviously if it's down low where you can collect it with other means, he probably doesn't use this method. But he takes a frame of old comb, clips it onto his swarm reacher, turns the little plastic thumb screw, and uh, puts this up there and just leans it against the swarm. What do you think the bees do? The bees smell that it was occupied in the past by bees and they migrate right onto the frame. Now maybe it's a huge swarm. They're not all gonna fit on the frame, but here's the thing. One of the bees in that swarm cluster, so I'm told, uh, that migrates onto those frames quickly is the queen. Now, who do you think I was talking to yesterday? Mr. Ed, Jeff Horchoff. And uh, I brought this up to him and I said, have you ever used an old frame of brood? And I said, he and Randy McCaffrey, Dirt Rister, uh, these guys are swarm collection dynamos in the South. So they have a lot of exposure. And so what a great source to just happen to be talking to him on the phone and say, hey, does that work? And he said, it sure does. And they had uh, a queen walk right out onto the frame. And here's the thing, you don't have to get the whole swarm, just most of them, get them down there. I'm thinking about how I'm gonna use it. How does this look when it's got the frame in it? Well, if you saw the cover shot, this is it. And here's a frame. This is a medium frame though. You probably would put it on a deep frame, but I did put this on my window washer pole, which is normally used by my wife because she does the window washing and stuff. But look how easily that goes on there. And it's also at an angle. You're not going to be standing straight under it. So, you know, swarms up there, you just send it up there, lean it in. For example, you can't shake a branch if they're clustered on the central column of the tree. Look how easily this just clamps onto here. This, what gets me about this innovation, this man's work, is it the simplicity of it. Because I looked at this and I thought, huh, how much are these things? And they're $10 each, so I bought them. Several of them. $10 each? Are you kidding me? I'm going to try this out. And he had lots of pictures of himself, of course, getting, if, if it didn't work, why would he make it? So he's an honest fellow. The other thing is the guy, the owner of Be Smart Designs, Clifford, walked over and he took this piece of plastic and he said, this is a really high quality, that's not a cheap piece of plastic, he said. In other words, it's a really high quality piece of gear. So I thought, huh, I'm gonna get these, I'm gonna try these out, and not only that, I'm gonna mention it on my first Q&A after the conference because I think somebody like this guy who had an idea, who is not a designer, he's not an engineer, He's just a bee guy and uh, he wanted to share with us something that actually works and this was his whole thing. So I'm going to put a link but you could google it Swarm Reacher and if you want to go get one my goal today I told this to Jeff yesterday I would like to sell this guy out on all of his stuff. Why? Because I already got mine because I don't need any more of them and uh, I'm going to be testing them out this year. I can't believe I haven't seen people do that because if you look at it in theory and uh, you think about what the bees do, 
you know, people are always trying to get whole hives up there. They're trying to get uh, a swarm trap up near an already clustered bivouac of bees. That doesn't work very well, but I know through my silliness in my backyard with my bees uh, that I can move those swarms around with pheromones. Where would the strongest pheromones be on these old brood frames? So the older and darker the drone comb you have is, the better it's going to work in this very simple swarm reacher clip. How much more can I say about it? Nothing. I don't know him. I just bought him. I liked his idea. And this is one of the reasons that coming to a conference is so important. There are people like that who just have an idea. They take the leap because when they're making things out of plastic or whatever, there's mold expenses and things like that involved. They don't know if anybody's going to pay attention to anything they've done. You know, it's a, they go on a prayer, you know, and uh, validation from Jeff yesterday, that's enough for me, but I already thought, you know, it's just in concept. It looks like it's going to work. That's enough. You should get one if you think swarm season's coming. It's not that far away. How easy is that? And then what would you do with the frame once it has bees all over it? Personally, I'd put one in a hive butler. They were there too. I did not talk to them at the conventions. There's another group that makes good stuff that I didn't get to talk to. So best for bees. I didn't make it over there. So here we go. Um, what else is going on? This is what I caution you about right now. The heavy winds followed by, or, you know, precursor was a lot of rain. So we have soft ground, heavy winds, trees falling over, uh, strap down your hives. This is it. It's going to happen. It's going to get bad. Power is going to go out. What else? Plummeting temperatures. We're going to drop into the single digits here. That combination of single digits, high winds. You want to be out there in five degrees with a minus 30 wind chill, trying to write some toppled beehives. So shipping straps, by the way, Someone told me to use these quick straps last year. We just pull them through and there's a little thumb clasp on it. No, not for me anymore. The ratchet straps were the only ones that allowed me to really cinch up nice. So I'm back to ratchet straps, not the quick straps at all. They just didn't hold. They don't do what they need to do. So ratchet straps, make sure they're cinched. Make sure that uh, any of your hives that might be tipped a little bit, you can put yard anchors in the ground does help, but of course, all the rain and softening of the ground makes that difficult too. We're talking about 70 mile an hour winds. So, and those are the gusts. Of course, that's not consistent, but it's going to sound like a freight train coming through. And the last thing you want to see is all your bees spread all over your field. And what else do we have? Uh, to do to do to narrow window of opportunity. Things going to go bad. Weather's going to get cold. Temps and wind is gonna wind's gonna rise that's it so in the closeout for today's video i'm just going to show you what the yard looked like and all the hives looked like and you're gonna see the one that was toppled over and there you have it so i want to thank you for being here today sorry i did not have more content for you but uh hopefully you're not opening your beehives this winter uh, without a real plan and a reason for doing it and you won't be that final nail in the coffin by opening a colony that does not need to be exposed to the cold unnecessarily. 
So thanks a lot for watching. I hope you have a fantastic rest of your weekend.